Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 53rd installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. These are the 133 presentations prepared by Pope John Paul II, delivered during the years 1979 through 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we're using. St. Paul writes in Galatians, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as a pretext for living according to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law finds its fullness in a single commandment, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Already a week ago, we dwelt on this statement. Nevertheless, we are taking it up again in connection with the main topic of our reflections. Although the passage just quoted refers above all to the topic of justification, nevertheless, the apostle explicitly intends to make us understand the ethical dimension of the antithesis between body and spirit between life according to the flesh and life according to the spirit. In fact, it is precisely here that he touches the essential point, revealing the very anthropological roots, as it were, of the ethos of the gospel. If, in fact, the whole law, the moral law of the Old Testament, finds its fullness in the commandment of love, the dimension of the new ethos of the gospel is nothing other than an appeal to human freedom, an appeal for its fullest realization, and in some way for the fullest use of the powers of the human spirit. It might seem that Paul is only setting freedom against the law, and the law against freedom. A deeper analysis shows, however, that in Galatians, St. Paul underlines, above all, the ethical subordination of freedom to that element in which the whole law is fulfilled, namely love, which is the content of the greatest commandment in the gospel. Christ has set us free that we might remain free precisely inasmuch as he showed us the ethical and theological subordination of freedom to love and linked freedom with the commandment of love. Understanding the vocation to freedom in this way, you were called to freedom, Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, means forming the ethos in which life according to the Spirit is realized. There is in fact also the danger of understanding freedom wrongly, and Paul clearly points to it by writing in the same context, only do not use your freedom as a pretext for living according to the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. In other words, Paul warns us of the possibility of making bad use of freedom, a use that conflicts with the liberation of the human spirit achieved by Christ and contradicts that freedom with which Christ set us free. In fact, Christ realized and showed the freedom that finds its fullness in love, the freedom thanks to which we serve one another 
In other words, the freedom that becomes the source of new works and of life according to the Spirit. The antithesis, and in some way the negation of this freedom, takes place when it becomes a pretext for living according to the flesh. In that case, freedom becomes a source of the works and of the life according to the flesh. It ceases to be the authentic freedom for which Christ set us free, and becomes a pretext for living according to the flesh, a source or instrument of a specific subjugation under the pride of life, the concupiscence of the eyes, and the concupiscence of the flesh. The one who lives in this way according to the flesh, that is, who subjects himself, even if not altogether consciously, nevertheless effectively to the threefold concupiscence, particularly to the concupiscence of the flesh, ceases to be capable of this freedom for which Christ has set us free. He also ceases to be suitable for the true gift of self, which is the fruit and expression of such freedom. He further ceases to be capable of the gift organically linked with the spousal meaning of the human body, which we discussed above in the analysis of Genesis. See Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 25. Purity, keeping the passions away, or keeping the body with holiness and reverence. In this way, the Pauline doctrine about purity, a doctrine in which we find the faithful and authentic echo of the Sermon on the Mount, allows us to see Christian purity of heart according to the gospel in a broader perspective and allows us, above all, to link it with love, in which the whole law finds its fullness. In a way analogous to Christ, Paul knows a twofold meaning of purity and impurity, a generic and a specific sense. In the first meaning, everything that is morally good is pure, while everything that is morally bad is impure. This is clear in Christ's words according to Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, quoted above. In Paul's statements about the works of the flesh, which he contrasts with the fruits of the Holy Spirit, we find the basis for understanding the problem in an analogous way. Among the works of the flesh, Paul locates what is morally evil, while every moral good is linked with life according to the Spirit. Thus, one of the manifestations of life according to the Spirit is behavior in conformity with the virtue that Paul seems to define rather indirectly in Galatians, but which he discusses directly in 1 Thessalonians. In the passages from Galatians discussed in detail above, the apostle lists, in the first place, among works of the flesh, fornication, impurity, licentiousness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Nevertheless, when he contrasts the fruits of the Spirit to these works, he does not directly speak about purity, but only mentions self-mastery. Greek in... Credia, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. One can recognize this mastery as a virtue that concerns consonance in the area of 
all desires of the senses, above all in the sexual sphere, and thus in antithesis to fornication, impurity, licentiousness, and also to drunkenness and orgies. One could thus suppose that the Pauline self-mastery contains what is expressed in the term consonance or temperance, which corresponds to the Latin term temperantia. In that case, we would find ourselves faced with the well-known system of virtues that later theology, especially scholasticism, in some way borrows from Aristotle's ethics. Certainly, Paul himself does not use this system in his text, since purity should be understood as the right way of treating the sexual sphere, depending on one's personal state of life, and not necessarily absolute abstinence from sexual life, such purity is doubtlessly included in the Pauline concept of mastery or inketeria. For this reason, within the Pauline text we find only a generic and indirect mention of purity, inasmuch as the author contrasts such works of the flesh as fornication, impurity, licentiousness, with the fruits of the Spirit, that is, with new works in which life according to the Spirit manifests itself. One can deduce that one of these new works is precisely purity, the purity that is the opposite of impurity as well as of fornication and licentiousness. Already in First Thessalonians, however, Paul writes explicitly and unequivocally about this topic. There we read, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from unchastity, that each one of you knows how to keep his own body with holiness and reverence, not as the object of lustful passions, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then, For God did not call us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, whoever rejects these norms rejects not a human being, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Even though also in this text we are dealing with the general meaning of purity, identified in this case with sanctification, inasmuch as impurity is named as the antithesis of sanctification, nevertheless the whole context clearly indicates what the purity or impurity in question is. That is, what the impurity mentioned here by Paul consists in, and how purity contributes to man's sanctification. For this reason, we should take up again this passage from 1 Thessalonians in our future reflections. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 53rd Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. In order for us to better appreciate this 53rd Catechesis, it's good for us to see where we've been and where we're going. So the first of the three parts of the theology of the body focuses on the words of Christ. The first chapter, Christ appeals to the beginning. The second chapter, and we're in the second chapter now, Christ appeals to the human heart. 
We focus on the words of Christ and his appeals because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ appeals to the human heart, not to the hearts of puppy dogs or guppies or pigeons. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save the human race, and so he appeals to human hearts, to your heart and to mine, that our hearts are conformed to his sacred heart, which was pierced for love of us. The sixth section in chapter 2 focuses on purity as life according to the Spirit. So the Holy Father had made a distinction between a general sense of purity, cleanliness, and a specific sense of purity regarding to uh, the virtue opposite the vice of lust. So the virtue of chastity and the sexual purity. Life according to the Spirit, the Spirit of God who calls us to be holy, who gives us the strength to be holy, to correspond to the Lord's call. Within this sixth section of the second chapter, there are two headings which are a part of this 53rd catechesis, flesh and the freedom for which Christ set us free. So, The flesh is our own self. We are corporeal beings, but we're not to do the works of the flesh, which sacred scripture often aligns with sexual sins or sins of gluttony and the like. And sin is an abuse of freedom. And so that's why it's so lovely to see the Holy Father cite sacred scripture, the freedom for which Christ set us free not as a cover of darkness, of sin, of licentiousness, but freedom to do what is good and true and beautiful, freedom to do what is excellent. The last heading in this 53rd Catechesis, purity, keeping the passions away or keeping the body with holiness and reverence. So there's a question here. Are we only keeping the passions away, or should we keep the passions away, or should we keep the body with holiness and reverence? And the Holy Father comes down on the latter. Keeping the body with holiness and reverence is the scriptural injunction. We are commanded by God through St. Paul to keep the body with holiness and reverence. The passions another word for the emotions, are from God. They're good, part of the good creation, our desires. But they need to be rightly ordered and rightly exercised. So husbands and wives should love each other. But lust should be no part of anyone's interpersonal relations or even relations with oneself. So that's kind of the background of this 53rd Catechesis. Into the heart of the matter, the Holy Father addresses in this catechesis the ethos of the gospel. What does the gospel call us to impart to purity? The whole law, the moral law of the Old Testament, the ethos of the gospel similarly are fulfilled in love. Love for God, love for neighbor, love for self. That's the ethos of the gospel. That's the ethos of the whole moral law of the Old Testament. So all of sacred scripture is fulfilled in love because God is love and sacred scripture is God's book, God's self-revelation, even if the fullness of revelation is Christ himself. And what does Christ say? 
no greater love than to lay down your life for your friend. And the Lord Jesus Christ laid his life down on the altar of the cross for us while we were still at enmity with God, with ourselves, with our neighbors. The Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, continues his 53rd catechesis, not only focusing on the ethos of the gospel, the whole law, moral law of the Old Testament, being fulfilled in love, but by saying St. Paul's teaching underlines the ethical subordination of freedom to that element in which the whole law is fulfilled, namely love. So, if the ethos of the gospel, the whole law, the moral law of the Old Testament is fulfilled in love, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four canonical gospels, but even the gospel as proclaimed by St. Paul. When the Holy Father says that St. Paul underlines the ethical subordination of freedom to love, it reminds us what will set us free. The truth will set us free. Who is the truth incarnate? Jesus Christ who is God. God is love. This is the thinking of St. Paul. This is the thinking recognized by John Paul II. This is to be our thinking if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, whose words we are studying here, who has appealed to our hearts, be purified, be cleansed, be saints in this day and age. The Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, continues by saying, St. Paul shows us the ethical and theological subordination of freedom to love. Love is key. The sacred scripture doesn't say God is freedom. The sacred scripture says God is love. But nobody forced God to create us. Nobody forced God to redeem us. Nobody forced God to reveal himself to us. God is freedom. God is free. But God is more love than God is free. There are many attributes of God. But to say that God is love is more central to his being, as if you could divide the being of God. God who is utterly simple. St. Paul shows us the ethical subordination of freedom to love and the theological subordination of freedom to love. Love is first. And we do what good we do because we love God. We do what good we do because we love our neighbor. We do what good we do because we love ourselves rightly. And when we do what is good, true, and beautiful, it is a free act. Sin is the abuse of our freedom, the abuse of our free will. The Holy Father continues. He says, St. Paul links freedom with the commandment of love. And so I say again, what will set you free? The truth will set you free. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is God. God is love. This is the reasoning behind John Paul's teaching. St. Paul links freedom with the commandment of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you, thus saith the Lord. And now we have heard it from John Paul II. It's one thing for us to hear it. It's another thing for us to know it, to believe it, and then to live it, to do it, put it into practice. That's what we're called to do. So the passage of St. Paul's sacred writings, inspired writing, which Pope John Paul II is focusing on in this 53rd catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, is Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom only. Do not use your freedom as 
a pretext for living according to the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's a beautiful text. And if we live it, our lives will be beautiful. Do not use your freedom as a pretext for living according to the flesh, that is, living lives according to the fallen nature, living lives which are full of the works of the flesh, which St. Paul spells out in another passage of sacred scripture, are akin to the concupiscence of the eyes, of the flesh, and of the pride of life, as St. John points out in his letter. How beautiful it is for Pope John Paul II to cite these words of St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, through love serve one another, when so much of the theology of the body is just about that, loving one another and serving one another, how a husband and wife serve each other and their children and society by living out their vocation of love. The Holy Father continues his 53rd Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, by pointing out how St. Paul warns us of the possibility of making bad use of freedom. It's an important warning. For freedom we have been set free, but not as cover for licentiousness. A bad use of freedom, another name for that, is sin. Sin is an abuse of our free will. And while we celebrate in the United States of America life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, liberty, another name for freedom, is not licentiousness. We don't do just whatever we want to do. We have the freedom to do what is excellent, the freedom to do what is good and true and beautiful. So it's very wonderful for our Holy Father to echo the warning of St. Paul so that we can be aware to not misuse freedom, that it is possible to make a bad use of freedom. It is possible to sin. And this is what Christ the Lord has come to save us from, from ourselves, from our sins, from eternal damnation, to open the way to paradise, to heaven. Give us the grace we need to be the saints we're called to be, to serve one another in love and purity, purity in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds our whole selves. By God's grace, not only is this possible, it has been done by how many saints before us. Now it is our turn. Christ realized and showed the freedom that finds its fullness in love, says Pope John Paul II in his 53rd Catechesis, and he showed the freedom that finds its fullness in love by his whole life, but especially by his saving death on the cross. Christ realized this freedom in his life, which was conforming to the will of the Eternal Father. Even in the agony in the garden, when he would be well tempted, he said, Father, not my will, yours be done. And he was realizing the freedom that finds its fullness in love. He laid down his life freely out of love for the Father and for us. We who call ourselves followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are to similarly realize in our own lives the freedom that finds its fullness in love. We are to live holy lives. We are to show forth that freedom by holiness of life, possible by the grace 
Christ our Lord won for us on Calvary's height. Pope John Paul II continues his 53rd catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, by highlighting, again, the threefold concupiscence, the pride of life, the concupiscence of the eyes, the concupiscence of the flesh, and he highlights these threefold temptations, tendencies to sin, as being anti-freedom, anti-gift of self, anti-spousal meaning of the body, in a word, bad. Beware of the threefold concupiscence. Beware of the pride of life. Be humble and submit to the Lord God, who calls us to be saints, who calls us to freedom and pure love, not to slavery to the senses, be the, the sense of sight with our eyes or the sense of touch, which we're able to do with so much of our body. Anti-freedom because they lead to sin, and it is the truth which sets us free, sin which enslaves. Anti-gift of self because concupiscence is trying to bring to the self, not the generous gift of self, but the taking and the anti-spousal meaning of the body. The whole spousal meaning of the body was treated by Pope John Paul II in the first chapter. Christ appeals to the beginning. In the beginning, God made the male and female. In the divine image, he created them. The man should leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This is the spousal meaning of the body. But the threefold concupiscence, pride of life, concupiscence of the eyes, concupiscence of the flesh, those are against the spousal meaning of the body. How is it that we're able to overcome these things? Only by God's grace, which he gives us in abundance. Pope John Paul II, as he was pronouncing the words of these 133 catechesis which make up his theology of the body, he was living on the grace which he had received in baptism and in confirmation and in the Holy Eucharist received and offered so often. How many times did he approach the sacrament of penance to receive the grace he needed to be the blessed he is about to be proclaimed May 1st. Those graces, graces from the waters of baptism, graces given in the sacrament of confirmation and holy Eucharist, those graces are available to all of us. We will renounce our own will in favor of the holy will of God to be his holy people. Pope John Paul II continues his 53rd catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, by pointing out that fornication and impurity are works of the flesh. And he cites Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. He contrasts these with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, chastity, self-control. Those who are fornicating, engaging in sexual activity without the benefit of marriage, those who are engaging in acts of impurity are not being chaste or self-controlled. That is the will of God for us. That we be pure and chaste, that we bear the fruit of the Spirit given to us in baptism. Pope John Paul II continues by equating self-mastery with virtue. Virtue is the scholastic term. The root is the word veer for man. We live according to our nature. Uh, Self-mastery is the scriptural term from St. Paul. What is virtue? It is the stable disposition to do good, even in the face of difficulty, with joy and ease. No joy, no ease, no virtue. A stable disposition to do good, regular 
If we have a stable disposition to do evil, it's a vice. It's not a haphazard goodness or a haphazard evilness. Those are just haphazard events. But a regular disposition to do good, even in the face of difficulty, the Lord is not promising that life will be easy. His grace is sufficient for us. When Pope John Paul II seems to equate self-mastery with virtue, he specifies that it's the virtue that concerns continence in the area of all desires of the senses, above all in the sexual sphere. Sometimes we would just say chastity. The Holy Father is focusing on purity. And finally, the Holy Father addresses Pauline self-mastery, which he equates with continence and temperance in the well-known system of virtues that later theology, especially scholasticism, he doesn't mention here Thomas Aquinas, but he will later, in some ways borrows from Aristotle's ethics, so especially the Nicomachean ethics. Here the Holy Father is using classical terminology in his updating of the reality about the human experience, his theology of the body. Until next time, God bless you.